Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, we recap the Chicago Bulls victory, the Indiana Pacers loss. How about Borrego going with a couple of big guys? We debate what the best Christmas song is and this. Let's tell people about the Hornets. Let's tell people how they are doing. Let's tell people about the Hornets. Buzz, buzz, it's time to talk Hornets. Yeah, it's magical. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cuz we live. We live. When we got the news this weekend that PJ Washington was not going to be able to play in that game against Chicago or Indiana, or I should say against Indiana, excuse me, it was the game in, in Chicago where he got that injury and that he was going to be out through about Christmas time. It seemed like everybody was starting to panic a little bit, and it was going to be uh, a lost season for the Charlotte Hornets after that point. It was funny to see, like, we have this newfound When, when did we find this season? I thought we were all pretty I, much in I, agreement I, that this no, season was a, a transitional one at best. I know it was, it was just interesting. Like we all have PJ Washington. We want to watch him play and then something was taken away from us. And then people seem, and, and, and I am with people. Like it seemed that it was going to be, uh, we, we really wanted to watch PJ Washington play because he had been playing so much better and now he'll be taken away from us. And, uh, they were able to win against the Chicago bulls in that game by 10 points, but you did lose something at least through Christmas. I'm glad it wasn't worse than that, Doug. I'm glad it was only about two weeks that we had PJ Washington out now, but still it is going to be unfortunate that we don't have our rookie. And then they eventually lose to the Indiana Pacers yesterday uh, by a big score after a fourth quarter collapse. They allowed 35 points in that final quarter of action to the Indiana Pacers. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's a tough weekend for the Hornets. Uh, This is not a team that you would describe as having anything resembling true NBA depth. Uh, and and to this point, they haven't really been challenged in that way. I mean, they've been relatively healthy, and I think it allowed them early on to sneak up on some teams that weren't as healthy. I mean, you think back to that first game against the Indiana Pacers where they were down 19 points, able to come back and knock down a, a shot in overtime to win that game. That was because the Pacers were were missing so many of their key offensive pieces And now teams are starting to get healthy and the Hornets going in the other direction. And this is the result. I mean, when you have to rely on Cody Martin, Michael Kidd Gilchrist for big minutes, for offensive minutes, uh, it, it it gets dicey. Yeah, and having to rely on the backcourt for most of your scoring, they've done that quite a bit this season. And when Devontae Graham, so you lose P.J. Washington, even though you do beat the Chicago Bulls by 10 points, but you lose P.J., then you have Devontae Graham go 3 of 18. You have Terry Rozier go 1 of 12 in this game against the Indiana Pacers. Then uh, it certainly is going to result in a a big-time loss, like you said, trying to depend on the depth. Let's go back. Let's just focus on a game at a time here, Doug. Let's have the first segment be dedicated to the game against the Chicago Bulls. So you look at this pretty balanced scoring through the first six men uh, on the roster, really. You look at P.J. Washington had 13 in this game. Miles Bridges 
Bridges had 13, Biombo 12, Terry 11, Devontae 16, and Cody had 11 points. What were some of your biggest takeaways from the Chicago Bulls game in which the Hornets beat them 83-73? to Yeah, they fought through a tough offensive night. As you said, the Hornets have relied uh, tremendously on output from both uh, Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier. Graham goes 4 of 14 from the field. Rozier goes 5 of 15 from the field. You only get 27 points combined from them. Uh, But the forward stepped up. Miles Bridges played well. P.J. Washington shot the ball well before, well, at least from two. Uh, He missed all three of his three-pointers, but 13 points, 10 rebounds. I mean, my big takeaway is the rebound number, 60 rebounds. I mean, a lot of missed shots, so that's going to inflate the numbers. But everyone involved in rebounding. So Bridges had nine. Washington had 10. Biombo had uh, had nine as well. So very physical game, and the Hornets stepped up. This team has not uh, been defined by their physicality. And I think they're, they're responding best they can to the defensive challenge that the coaches laid out for them. And I thought they did a good job in this one. You limit Levine, only makes one three-pointer after scoring 13 three-pointers in their last matchup. I thought they did a good job chasing Kobe White around. He can be tough, but he only goes one of eight from the field for three points. So if you take Levine away and you take White away, not much else that the Bulls can offer you offensively. Marketing had a tough night, too, after... You know, Marketing's a player that's getting getting better and, and has struggled this season, but has played better as of late. But he only gets ten points. I'm just I'm just glad the Hornets were able to dispatch the Bulls, a, a team that uh, you know I don't think deserve to win right now. So, Boy, they're bad. That's my takeaway. <laughs> that Chicago is not a very good basketball team, and even when the Hornets don't play very well. That's the that's one of the few teams in the NBA where maybe you don't play well and you can still get a victory. Oh, and you can even win by double digits. That's my takeaway that Chicago wasn't very good because I didn't watch the Hornets in this one and think, man, you know what? Great performance. I think defensively they showed some good things. But again, it's against the Chicago Bulls. And boy, they look like a team that should only maybe even have less than nine wins on the season so far. Like that's that's a team that people kind of had expectations for heading into the season. I know Zach Lowe said he kind of liked Chicago and then he would have guests on and then you would listen to other NBA podcasts. And I think people are like, hey, you know, maybe the Bulls can get into the playoff picture. Maybe they're at least fighting for one at the end of the season. And then they look this bad. Jim Boylan has some reports coming out on him that the players don't like Jim Boylan again. It's been a roller coaster. First, they didn't like him. Then they did like him. Now they don't like him again. <clears throat> I don't like, I feel like, like Jim, you. Yeah, I feel like Jim Boylan is going to be a guy that's fired may, may, even before the season is ended. So I mean, maybe, I, I but they just, I mean, they just extended him and Garpak's uh, recently came out and said that uh, they, that they're going to stick with the coach, that this is a grind, that this isn't something that they're going to overreact to. But I think this is a perfect example of something that you actually should overreact to. <laughs> you should get in there and say, wait a minute, something is not working. We've got talent, um, but it's not executing. I mean, 73 points, that's ridiculous. Now, they did follow this up by beating the Clippers by three points, but the Clippers were on a ridiculous back-to-back where they had to play like 22 hours after the the finish of their last game. So then you have moments like that, and you're like, damn it. Like, Levine has just been all over the place uh, this season. He's either uh, red hot or ice cold, and uh, luckily the Hornets caught him on a night where he was ice cold. Uh, so that benefited them greatly. But again, you have to credit the defense. I mean, 73 points, it's, it's difficult to hold an NBA team to 73 points. 15 points in the first quarter, 10 points in the third quarter. That's been a challenge for the Hornets this season, starting games and starting second halves. 
And they did They did that. And they turned the ball over 21 times in this game, but only 13 points given up on those 21 turnovers. Again, a sign that Chicago just was not capable of playing offense tonight. They couldn't even take advantage of the things that were given to them by the Charlotte Hornets. Well, and then, of course, you get uh, the P.J. Washington dunk on Daniel Gafford, and then he gets the technical after that. Just a whole lot of disrespect towards the Chicago Bulls in this game. They only scored 83 points, but still a whole lot of disrespect towards them. One thing I did want to mention real quickly is uh, is Cody Martin, and I, I guess we'll allow that to transition us a little bit into the Indiana Pacers game and get more to it in the second game. But Cody Martin has been playing quite a bit the last three contests. Doug, you look at him, uh, it was someone that got quite a bit of action when Nick Batum was out, so Cody Martin was getting some of the 20-minute games earlier on in the year. It would have been early November that he was getting a lot of run. Then he went a long time where I think people kind of wanted to see Cody Martin get back in, but he would only have the five-minute appearance against Chicago on November 23rd, six-minute appearance against Miami after that, five minutes here and there. Like He was getting single-digit minutes, and then against Brooklyn, gets 24, gets 16 against Chicago, gets 28 against Indiana, and has shown, I think, a little bit better understanding of the offense. He doesn't seem so scared anymore where he's playing with his tail between his legs the entire time. And defensively, I, I think a lot of people are pleased, certainly with the effort that he puts out there. But also, it, it, it seems like there is a, a pretty solid understanding of how to play defense in the NBA from Cody Martin. I, I've liked what we've gotten from him. Oh, yeah, not only an understanding of how to play defense, but he just has a certain mentality when he steps out on the floor, a certain aggressiveness when he's out on that floor, and a certain physicality that I don't think some of these uh, Charlotte Hornets possess. But I think when you see that on the floor, you start to play that way. So it's it's good just to have him out there to have that reminder for some of the other players, uh, especially on a long road trip like this. It's good that right at the end of this road trip to insert that energy. I mean, you're going to see more of him now, with I think, with P.J. Washington out. But just to insert that energy at the end of a road trip, I think, was a savvy move uh, by Borrego because everybody's fatigued, everybody's tired, you're trying to dig it out, you're trying to win this game on defense, and and I think Cody Martin was a big part of that. You know, on the flip side of that, he's still, while he is improving, I agree with you, he's still an offensive liability, if only for the fact that teams are not scared of him at all. Uh, so they're not, you know, it allows a team an extra defender uh, it keeps, I think, it keeps Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier from being able to drive to the basket effectively or as effectively as they could if you had a legitimate offensive threat there. So there's a flip side to everything with the Charlotte Hornets this season. That's one of them with Cody Martin. All right. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NBA and using promo code locked NBA. No on in there. Locked NBA at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Again, that's LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. More on the Indiana Pacers game next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. And the Google description here says, on contracts made before June, where the wheat is deliverable in December, either wheat of the grades, named or numbered, <laughs> B shares Batik of New York, N.B.A. So take that for what you will. That's a lot of information I just threw at you. I apologize. What was the grade? The Yeah, the wheat was graded uh, C-. minus. Let's get them on. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. 
I find myself looking at the rebounding column in the box score pretty much immediately after every game first. Like, yeah, you, of course, want to watch who scored the most points. But for me, I always look at the rebound column. Big rebound guy. Yeah, well, you look at the rebound column, at least this season for the Hornets, because they've just been getting destroyed in that stat so long and, yeah. and, and really all season long. And so you look at the Indiana Pacers game, you might look at the rebounds and try to dictate without watching any second whatsoever of this contest. You look at the Charlotte Hornets, they get 56 rebounds, they get 17 from Biombo, they get 12 from Cody. You also see that both of them started this game in a weird play by James Borrego. I thought that we had seen so many different rotations already. Like I wouldn't be surprised by anything. Yeah, that one surprised me that Cody Zeller and Pissback Biombo started this game together. They get 56 rebounds and the Pacers who have Sabonis and Miles Turner playing in this game. They only get 51 and yet the Pacers still win by 22 because they were so awful shooting the basketball. But the rebounding disparity was interesting to me in the fact that they actually won that stat against a team that is bigger and has been good at rebounding and they still get destroyed again because they can't shoot whatsoever. Well, so yeah, I mean, you get Biombo and Cody Zeller in there to match the size uh, that the the Pacers were going to play with. They have Miles Turner. They've got Sabonis. Two, you know, especially Sabonis has been playing well as of late, but so is Miles Turner. So you wanted to match that and match their physicality. So you get Zeller, and you deal with whatever again the offsets are going to be with that. Cody Zeller's not going to extend the floor. I thought, you know, especially early on in this game. The Pacers were able to attack Devontae Graham aggressively and take him out of his groove. He wasn't really able to kind of establish a rhythm early on and because right now all he has is the three-point shot, unfortunately. like He, really, he just doesn't have a two-point game right now, and I think this is the perfect example of how that uh, tends to impact him on a night where you're not afraid of Biombo, you're not afraid of Zeller, and they're going to they're gonna be okay with 19 points from Cody Zeller. They're going to be okay with 11 points from Biombo. What the Pacers were trying to prevent was 26, 29 points from Devontae Graham, and they did just that. So credit the Pacers' defense uh, for, figuring, for figuring that out and dealing with that sudden adjustment because of the loss of P.J. Washington. I do watch a little bit more Indiana Pacers games than maybe other teams in the NBA. And it's funny you bring that up because when you watch the Indiana Pacers kind of attack Devontae Graham, I, that's it, it's interesting because against the Cleveland Cavaliers a couple of years ago under Nate McMillan, when they went to that seven game series and Nate then LeBron McVillan. James ended up beating the Cleveland, uh, be, ended up beating the Indiana Pacers. I think when you look at what they did was they allowed LeBron James to do whatever the hell he wanted really and then they made sure nobody else beat them. And in this game, much, much, much less stakes, much less significant. But Devontae Graham had been the guy that had been destroying all the other teams. And therefore, so they make sure they attack the head of the snake and allow everything else to go try to beat him. And that couldn't happen. So just interesting. Like I, I think of that series quite a bit where they were so successful against the Cavs. Nate McMillan said, OK, LeBron can get his, but we just make need to make sure everybody else is kept in check. The exact opposite here like they yeah they definitely covered Devonte graham really well and doug when you have guys like malcolm brogdon a big strong guard jeremy lamb who is certainly a bigger guard out there tj warren pacer are big like we, we go to sabonis and turner but even their point guard when your point guards malcolm brogdon and you have lamb and warren out there starting uh, they've just got length and they've got power 
everywhere at, at every single position. Well, and let me make a clarification. Like, if you go back and look at Devontae's, great, or Devontae's game in this one, like, he got shots. I mean, he was able – now, they forced him into situations where he had to take some tougher shots, like some step backs. His step back has not been that fantastic this season. He's come up short on a lot of step back jump shots. It's when he's able to get his feet set and really get those feet moving forward that his shot tends to go down. So they did force him into tougher shots, but he did have moments when he was open and he didn't hit them. And and I'm going to chalk that up to the end of a very long road trip, and everybody looked kind of tired in this game. Uh, But the big number for me, four assists. And again, that's what they were, they were attacking him, not really attacking him at the three-point line, but they were they were making sure that he did not get penetration and draw defense and then facilitate for others. Only four assists in this game for Devontae Graham, who is in the in the leaders in assists per game this season. And so they really they they stifled his playmaking ability. Real quick on the rebounding, because I didn't really answer your question. I think part of the reason that Biombo and Zeller are getting more rebounds as of late. I mean, credit them. I think especially Biombo has played more physically on the boards. I don't want to take away anything from them. But also I've noticed they've been less aggressive attacking pick and roll coverages with Biombo and Zeller and dropping them back more. And I think that's allowed them to be a little bit closer to the basket and and get more rebounds. Also in this game, because they can't play defense as effectively they, they have to go to junk defenses a lot, which I think, again, puts them a little closer to the basket more often, and so they're available for those rebounds. So it's a combination, I think, of those things. I made the comparison last week about Devontae Graham and allowing national recognition because of his play. A lot of people were putting out some nice things about Devontae, the ringer writing an article. I'm a great jinxer. Like I, I'm, I'm just a noted jinxer. My friends, they don't want me watching games that are close uh, that they're cheering for uh, because they know I'll jinx it. And this is a clear jinx by the national media of Devontae Graham. In fact, a conspiracy. I'm calling it a conspiracy. They saw that the Hornets actually had something that we were cherishing, that we were holding on to, and they had to come and ruin it by talking about it. Well, they did talk about it, and I made the comparison of Devontae Graham getting national recognition to Kimball Walker getting national recognition last season. And what happened, it was very early on that Kimball was getting a lot of that love where they were starting to talk about him on the afternoon ESPN debate shows, whether it be High Noon, whether it be Around the Horn, PTI. Kimball was getting talked about on all of those shows. And then... December happened, and we know what Kemba Walker December's bring. They don't oh, bring man. a whole lot of points, and they don't bring a whole lot of efficiency, and therefore, that conversation fell off real quickly. Doug, I was worried about this happening once again. I was worried about Devontae Graham getting all of this recognition, all of this play, and then after that, having poor performances and stringing a bunch of poor performances together to the point where we kind of just have that story fizzle out, and then we look elsewhere and therefore hindering his Eastern Conference All-Star chances. What happens after we start to praise him after that Nets game against the Bulls? He goes 4-14, 2 of 9 from 3, 16 points, not very efficient. Then against the Indiana Pacers, he goes 3 of 18, 3 of 14 from 3-point uh, three range, 12 points. Not that great of efficiency. I hope it stops now so we can continue to praise Devontae Graham because I really was worried about that happening. And sure enough, that's how it's played out the last two games. Well, I hope one of the other guards actually steps up and plays well. I mean, we've seen Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham, the threebies. We've seen those two step up together. But I I feel like rarely have we seen Terry Rozier play well in a game that Devontae Graham is not playing well. I mean, one of 12 for three points. 
I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not going to chalk that up to fatigue. Come on, Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier has to play better in this game. 0 of 3 from beyond the arc. Malik Monk, who was really responsible for helping the Hornets get back into this game in the third quarter. They made a, I believe, 19-4 to run to get back, to pull this thing within, yeah, it was a 19-4 to run at the end of the third quarter to pull this thing back within six and actually give this team a chance. Uh, so Malik Monk, big part of that, but he also missed a lot of open three-point shots in this game. I think he could have had a, a bigger offensive game uh, that possibly could have staved off some of what was happening in the fourth quarter uh, but unfortunately, some of these other guards have not been able to step up when Devontae Graham uh, is is not playing well. I like that Malik Monk actually got touches, though, when he was in, because yeah. here, here's here's to me what frustrates me about the Malik Monk situation. And people are going to disagree with me and they're going to chalk it up to me loving Malik Monk. And that's fine. But Malik Monk. I want him to get more touches, and he did in this game against Indiana, but that's something that I had been pining for. I wanted more touches for Malik Monk, and the fact is that Malik Monk simply is just not shooting the ball very well at all, to the point where you might be able to label him as a poor shooter. Who would have thought that coming into the NBA? But he's just straight up a poor shooter. But what he is not is he is not a bad offensive player in my mind. And what they need to do is they need to continue to have him drive towards the basket and put him in situations where, one, he's been succeeding this season and the team has been succeeding. When he gets the basketball, they put him in pick-and-roll situations and you allow him to be a decision-maker once going to the paint. Look, we talked about the turnover percentage at the beginning of the season. It wasn't very good, but now it's around the same as what Devontae Graham's is. I think maybe Devontae Graham's turnover percentage is like .1 better. So Malik is taking care of the basketball a little bit more. You know know how much I've loved his vision even coming out of college he has shown that he is hitting shots at a very high rate at the basket that's what they need to do and so yeah here's my thing I don't know that you can be a good scorer anymore and not be a good shooter I just I don't see how that's possible in today's NBA. Well, I said good offensive player. I don't know if I said, yeah, and I maybe maybe I said score, but I, I thought now I you said. you said good offensive player. I said good score. I just don't know how you can be a good scorer and and not be a good shooter. I just, and, and it's not even, it's it, it's that he's legitimately a bad shooter. I think that's right. Yeah, You're right. No, a poor shooter. And that, that's crazy to me because of what we saw from him in college. I don't necessarily know what's happening or what the fix is, uh, but hopefully they can figure it out in season, though that doesn't tend to happen. Um, we, we haven't talked about why they actually lost this game because, again, they go on that 19-4 to run to end the third quarter. They pull it within six. A few weird plays at the end of the third quarter. I mean, they could have gotten this thing to four or maybe even two before the end of that third quarter, but they had a few miscues there at the, the very end of that quarter. But then they go into the fourth quarter, and, and I'll tell you what happened is the Hornets, the reason why they were able to get back into this game is actually because of their defense. They went to a zone defense that really seemed to confuse the Indiana Pacers, and they hold the Pacers in that third quarter uh, to under 20 points, uh, 13, in fact. That's that's three quarters now in the past two games where they've held teams to 15 or less points. That's that's pretty impressive. But then 35 points in the fourth quarter because Nate McVillan figured that zone out and figured it out in a big way. And T.J. McConnell, I think, gets, should get a lot of props because he was able to kind of get in there and dipsy-doodle around that zone and pull some guys around and confuse things. Oh, there was so much dipsy and doodling. And Aaron Holiday hit so many mid-range Man, shots in that good. fourth quarter. I mean, you couldn't – so that's the thing. And the Hornets could not keep pace offensively, and they certainly tried, but they just weren't knocking down shots, and the Pacers were able to pull away after they figured out that zone defense. All right, we'll get into more of the P.J. Washington injury next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. 
This is Locked on Hornets. Decoys all over the place. They've got everybody down at the rim. Ball goes into biz. They do like an XFL style where the wide receiver runs to the line of scrimmage, except it's with Devontae Graham. He picks up a foul. I don't care what you say, Nate McMillan. More like Nate McVillain. Get out of here. Quit whining about the officials. You got plenty of calls. The Hornets got a call at the end of the game. I thought it was fair. Hornets win. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. This is very much Doug's world that we're living in. And no matter that we're recording a podcast, Doug, immediately upon going to break, very random, as soon as we go to break, I mean, as soon as I get done saying Locked on Hornets podcast, Doug breaks out in song. Now, he often breaks out in song. They're often extremely random. But this time, he decided to sing Otis Redding's White Christmas. And Best Christmas after that, song. Yeah, right. Well, this is, the, thank you. This is the transition that I was going to make. So he starts we'll singing Otis. He starts singing Otis Redding's White Christmas. And then I had heard it, but I thought he was saying mayonnaise instead of mayo days. And he decided to play that song for me. And then it did mm-hmm. get us to the conversation of the best Christmas song. Doug is going all in with White Christmas by Otis Redding. And it made me think, I think I'm going to go with Chuck Berry's Run Run Rudolph. I think that's my favorite Christmas song. It's a, it's a fine selection. There are a lot of great selections out there. I'm an alt Christmas song guy, so I mean, I like you know, <laughs> Wham, Last Christmas. I'm I'm not a big traditionalist when it comes. Although I'll say White Christmas in general, just whoever performs that, I think is is one of the better Christmas songs out there. But yeah, if you haven't checked it out, Otis Redding White Christmas is a fantastic song. One of the few Christmas songs that you can uh, listen to, and also you know make whoopee is that right how many christmas songs are there that you can do that is that a game that we should play i mean i de- i guess technically depending on what kind of person you are you could make love to any christmas song that's playing right now drummer boy silent night doesn't matter throw it all out throw it all well, wherever you want to and i'm ready to go down right now but you are I guess a disturbing that's... individual <laughs> that is <laughs> Too many, no, a lot of Christmas songs are just happy and upbeat, and those are, you know, it's tough. I mean, you need something a little slower, a little soulful, kind of get you in that groovy mood, and White Christmas by Otis Redding. Just check it out. It's a good song. All right, P.J. Washington suffered a fractured fifth finger on his right hand. I guess we could just go pinky, but we wrote up the fifth finger right there. Woj One, reports two, three, four, will be, five. Fifth. We'll be out through Christmas, possibly beyond uh, PJ Washington, someone that we have grown to love here in Charlotte. He's been a very good rookie. I think most people have dubbed him the best rookie, having the best rookie year since Kimball Walker when he was drafted, possibly being the best rookie overall when we look on it in the future uh, since Kimball Walker was drafted. How much are they going to miss him, Doug? Oh, a lot. I mean, which finger would you want to fracture the most? You know, like if you had to fracture a finger, right? Like, of course, you wouldn't want to fracture any finger, but like which? I think it might be the pinky. Like if you're Ring it, finger, it, rip pointer finger, really? Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm going I love ring the point. I mean, easy. pointing is one. No, of No, not my... pointer. Ring finger. Oh, you said no. ring finger. Okay. Yeah, ring finger is the finger that I'm breaking if I have to injure anything. That it's definitely that one because the pinky is essential to palm a basketball. If you do play basketball, you don't take the. You don't get the pinky. You can't palm. I'm anything. just talking about in live. I'm not talking about basketball. I'm just talking about in live. See, pinky. I think you know when when you drink and sometimes your pinky when you hold a cup. Sometimes your pinky sort of fades away. It just is not as interested in being part of the whole holding a thing. 
I think your pinky is the most indecisive finger that you have because it doesn't really know if it wants to hold on to things. The thumb is the most decisive finger. Definitely don't want to lose that one. The pointer, I think, is the most emotional finger, although some would say the middle finger is the most emotional finger, but I think that because of what you tend to do with it when you're angry, but I think the pointer finger... You can. There's a lot, a lot of flexibility with the emotion because it could be, it could be pointing to someone and say, "Yeah, you did it." Or sometimes the pointer finger is say, "Yeah, you, you did that," and I'm accusing you of something that I'm very angry about. So a lot of emotions packed. Only really one emotion packed in the middle finger, but a lot of emotions packed in the pointer finger. So I don't want to lose that baby. I'm going pinky, even though you can't. Find- but if you lose the pinky, you can't pinky swear. Which I think is it could you know harm your credibility a little bit. But I'm willing to lose the pinky and the pinky swear. You think that the pinky finger doesn't do a, doesn't know if it wants to hold on to anything, then try holding on to your phone with one hand without your pinky. You're not going to be able to do that. A lot of people use the pinky as a support system for the phone if you or if you hold oh, it. Oh man, and that's so, actually a great point. Mm-hmm, so but I'm good still luck. but I'm but I'm still breaking it. Because I can always go two hand. You you can always go two hand and then but use sometimes the, you can't go two use hand. The sometimes palms. you gotta go one hand for well, your phone. And we're okay. back to the Christmas discussion that we just had. They're, they're going to miss P.J. Washington a lot, Doug, because of that injured pinky, you think? Yeah, I mean, he's been one of the most consistent offensive threats for this team. I mean, you think about how many opportunities he's had in the corner, left alone because Devontae Graham, because Terry Rozier are driving, uh, because they've been effective with the pick-and-roll attack this season. You know, I think that uh, they they are missing that offensive consistency, and as a rebounding presence too. I thought he was uh, particularly getting better. Uh, help side blocks. I mean, he was doing that as well, and just the flexibility that it gives you to bring Cody Zeller off the bench. I mean, I think against Sacramento, they're going to have to go with the two center lineup again with Zeller and Biombo because of the size that the Kings provide. Maybe against the Cavaliers, they'll be able to slide Miles Bridges over to the four or possibly even utilize MKG at the four and get a little smaller. But until then, you're kind of stuck with this two-center lineup, and that's not great. Man, I'm, I'm not surprised looking at these numbers, but it, it is still noticeable to me when you go to his game log and you see how many minutes a game he's playing. How about in the month of December? He's playing 33 and a half minutes per game, and that's actually brought down by an outlier against Phoenix. He only played 18 minutes in that game. So you take away that probably going quite a bit up. I it just he plays all the time. Like, it's funny. I again, I'm not shocked by kind of going back and looking, you know, in my brain about you know watching the Hornets. But I mean, 33 and a half minutes, they just play him a ton. I think it goes to show you how much they rely on him. Also want to develop him as a young player, as a rookie. But my God, they play him all the time. Doug, this is certainly not a great thing for P.J. Washington. Nobody wants to see somebody get injured. But I will say this. I don't think it's all that bad. I think P.J. Washington being out for a couple of weeks, one, it could have been worse, right? I mean, anytime a rookie's out, you certainly don't want it to be months or anything like that. So he gets a couple of weeks off. You're only going to miss him for maybe a little bit more than a handful of games. I think that's fine. I also wonder if it helps him kind of catch his breath a little bit because this is a guy that (laughs) ran into the rookie wall extremely early and and to a point where it was 
kind of weird. It was eyebrow raising for a rookie to crash to the rookie raw wall really before we even get to December. That was really weird to see from PJ and maybe a two week hiatus where, of course, you're still doing basketball activities as much as you can with the injury. It's not a lower body injury, so he can still stay, stay conditioned, but also get quite a bit of rest. I just wonder if that actually helps PJ Washington for a nice stretch in January and February when instead, you know, getting the two weeks off rather than playing all of them. Maybe this is actually a pretty good thing. And of course, you do have the added benefit of losing a good player. You're going to possibly lose more games, get worse, and then increase your draft stock. You know, it's interesting. I've never thought about the pinky as a phone cradle, but it really is the cradle piece for your phone. And I wonder if like human evolution, if we're actually making the pinky stronger and more flexible, if like after 50 years, that that generation of humans, our children or our grandchildren will have the strongest pinkies of any generation of human previously. Well, what's funny is I don't know if this has happened to your pinky, but I feel like my pinky has adapted to my phone holding to the point where it actually. So if you go from the base of your pinky, it starts to stick out. And then once you get to the first line, right, I have three lines in your or I get. Yeah, you have three lines on the palm side of your pinky. And then once you get, I guess, to that middle one, right? I guess you get to that second one is what I should say. It actually starts to curve and then you see a boom straight line to where I feel like that's where I rest my phone. And I think my pinky has adapted to my phone holding strategies. I'm still fracturing the pinky. Well. <laughs> okay, that's the mistake. I think that's a terrible mistake. You're going to want to have that pinky back once you start holding your phone with one hand. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. You can follow myself on Twitter at Walker Mail and Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H. We'll be back with you tomorrow.